This is Ann Bodle Nash for Skagit Talks. There are many writers in the Northwest. Whether per capita we have more, I cannot speculate. Is it the climate or our particular interest in the outside world or that we just like storytelling? In the Valley, we have a wonderful resource for new and experienced writers. It's called the Skagit Valley Writers League. One of the members is with me today to share a bit of his writing. I'd like to welcome Bruce Lawson to the studio. Hi, Bruce. Hi, how are you? Fine. Thanks for coming in on this rainy old day. Well, thanks for inviting me. You bet. How long have you been writing? A little over 10 years. Well, that's not too long, but long enough. How did you come to writing? Uh, grandkids. I uh, used to tell them stories when they come over to Grandma and Grandpa's house. And then they moved to Virginia, and uh, I couldn't communicate to them that, you know, the way I wanted to. So I started writing little stories and mailing them in, like, one page uh, every other day. And it's like in serial form. So I, I did this off and on for about four years. That's marvelous. And uh, when, my, uh, when my daughter and the kids all moved back here, she presented me with a box, and she had kept every single one of those stories. And she says, Grandpa, you better, or Dad, you better uh, start getting serious about this. And so I have. That's wonderful. Uh, have you published any of your work? I have one published in the uh, in the, in the Skagit Valley Writers League uh, anthology, and uh, the little gray rabbit with black ears. It's a cute little story. What market are you targeting in your writing? Well, I go uh, basically young adult adventure, but I also have stories for three, four, five year olds, seven and eight, right in, in, in that in that that range there. And then I have a uh, novel that I've finished. Uh, it's actually probably end up being two books, and it's more for the um, early twenties and that that age group. But they're all readable for all ages, you know. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Now I heard you read a story last week at yeah. a luncheon, and I have asked you in to read it again because it's it's quite lovely. So without uh, much more of a setup than that, uh, how about the title? And we'd be thrilled to hear you read it. Uh, it's a little bit, it can get exciting at the end of it. It's uh, The Salesman's uh, Bear, and it's, um, this is just an excerpt out of the story, and it uh, takes place in uh, uh, Montana, uh, 1960s, uh, and um, I'll just uh, go from there. The client from Coburn, Jason Prattle, pulled into my driveway in a new 61 Buick convertible, its bright chrome bumper and red sides dulled by the splatter of mud. He was a tall guy, about 40, with a mouthful of white teeth and wearing a brand new hunting clothes. Said he sold cars down in Butte, and let me tell you, the man lived up to his last name. He could talk your arm off, and did. I asked him about his hunting experiences with big grizzlies, and he brushed me off with, don't worry about me, I've done a lot of hunting. So with an early start the next morning, we drove my Woolies Jeep up to an area near the Lewis and Clark National Forest, where I'd hoped we'd find him a bear. The whole time on the road, winding along the eastern edge of the Rockies, the car salesman never stopped trying to sell me that Buick, and never once commented on the scenery or the brilliant colors of fall scattered amongst the green pines. He just kept rattling on about this and that, 
who he knew and what he'd done and where he'd hunted. All his bragging on the two-hour drive was enough to give me a headache, and frankly, I was glad when I pulled off the pavement onto the dirt road I was looking for, and he finally shut up. After a bumpy spy jarring right up a steep draw, we parked, and I pointed to where we'd hike the rest of the way on foot. While Jason unpacked his rifle, I grabbed my 44 Magnum pistol off the back seat and loaded six cartridges into the chamber. Strapping it on, I took my rifle from the rack. What's that you're shooting, he asked. A Remington 270? Why? You won't need that with me shooting the gun that won the West, my 4570. I could see he was proud of the Winchester, and he was right. His gun could kill a buffalo or a grizzly. But what the heck, so could mine. Seeing he was paying for the hunt, I went along with his wishes and placed my rifle back in the gun rack. Hanging binoculars around my neck, I watched Jason load the Winchester and grew concerned when he fumbled with the cartridges, dropping several on the ground. I thought the way he bragged on the drag up, drive up, he was more experienced handling his gun. But then again, the gun was new, and I didn't know the man, so I let his fumblings go as him just being excited. When all was ready, he slung his rifle and we started our climb. It was tough. The slope was so steep in some places, we had to grab anything we could to pull ourselves up. Cresting the top, I motioned him to stay low and lie in the damp grass. I no more lay down and got the binoculars focused when I spotted a bear in the meadow, about 150 yards away. Years ago, when we were teenagers, my brother and I stumbled on this spot with its acres of berry vines. We never killed a bear up here, we just came to watch them feed, like now, when the berries are ripe. Jason pointed a nervous finger, his voice tight. There's one. We were looking at the same bear, a big dark male, probably 10 years or older, the hair on its back turning silver. What a brute, I thought, lowering the binoculars. I'd seen bears this size when I worked down in Yellowstone. Solitary animals usually the last to arrive at the feeding platforms, but when they did, the other bears cleared away. Biting his lip, his pale eyes blinking, Jason asked what the plan was. Moving closer, I whispered, the wind's in our favor. When the bear stands up to pull down the vines, shoot him just below the arm. I put the glass on the bear and watched. The animal seemed in no hurry to eat just kept looking our way. Had he seen us when we came up over the top? I didn't think so. We'd stayed low and crawled. I glanced at the barrel of the Winchester by my head. It was shaking like the... like the hand holding it. Are you okay? There was no answer. I put the glass back on the bear and saw it stand up. Shoot, I whispered, keeping my eyes glued on the bear. The deafening crack of the rifle rang in my ears, the pungent smell of gunpowder strong. I couldn't believe where his bullet struck the animal, a good two feet above where it should have, tearing a bloody chunk of flesh from the top of the bear's hump, spinning it around. 
scrambling to his feet, mumbling something I didn't understand. Jason tried to jack a new shell into, into the chamber. Get down, you fool. The barrel see ya. But it was too late. The enraged animal spotted him, dropped on all fours and charged, a deep, snarling growl filling the air. Letting the binoculars slip from my fingers, I screamed at Jacob to shoot again, but he was still fumbling with his rifle. Rising to my feet, I saw fear spread across the man's face when he saw how fast the bear was coming at us. My God, he screamed and fled with his rifle over the edge and disappeared down the slope. Flipping off the strap holding the forty-four in the holster, I looked back at the bear and pulled the gun free. Now, not more than fifty feet away, I aimed below the animal's massive head and pulled the trigger. The gun bucked in my hand and the shock of the bullet knocked the bear to the ground. But like a boxer, it rolled over and stood on wobbling hind legs, blood glistening on the dark fur, shaking its head, baring its stained teeth, its body quivering in a primordial rage, it charged. I pulled the trigger twice more, striking the grizzly's chest, knocking it onto its back, but it, did, but it didn't stay down. It came at me again on all fours. In that instant, as it closed, I saw in those black, beady eyes its intent to kill. Oh, Christ, help me, I yelled, jumping back, firing point-blank into the huge beast. Now so close, its harsh, musty smell overwhelmed me. On the verge of panic, cursing myself for leaving my rifle in the jeep, I dodged away, following Jason's path down the slope, trying to remember how many shells, if any, I had left. Halfway down lay the deserted Winchester, its barrel buried in the dirt, and Jason, the bragging hunter, crouched behind the jeep, fear etching his face, dust from his panic slide hanging in the air. Mouth dry, blood pounding in my temples, I dug my boots into the hillside and looked up as the bear's head appeared above me, praying I still had shells in the gun. I kept pulling the trigger until the hammer clicked on an empty chamber. Two slugs of lead struck the bear under the jaw, crashing into its skull. I scrambled out of the way as it slid down the slope towards me, and in the last desperate attempt, it swiped at my leg, its claws ripping the cuff of my Levi's, scarring my boot. I sagged against the hillside and closed my eyes. The empty forty-four heavy in my hand. How long it had been since we climbed past this spot? It seemed like an hour, but it had only been minutes. I looked down at the bear crumpled dead by the jeep. The car salesman cautiously poking at it with a stick. At that moment, I knew one thing for sure. I'll be damned if I buy a car from that son of a bitch. Thank you, Bruce. That's quite a story. Quite a story. <laughs> Did it, was it, is it based on an actual? That's a true story. True story. Yeah, yeah. it's a true story. It happened to a longtime friend of, uh, of um, our family. His family and our family were longtime friends. And uh, at this time, he was a... Uh, a hunting guide in Montana, and this is an actual encounter he had. Mm-hmm. I uh, fictionalized it a little bit. It wasn't the car salesman. It was, it was a, a rancher that should have known better. <laughs> well, all good stories uh, can stand a little invention from time to time. Yeah, that's the fun part. It is the fun <laughs> part. 
I'm just trying to think where else we might want to go with this chat. Oh, well. Um, uh, Joe, do we have enough? Okay. Bruce, anything else you'd like to add to uh, your uh, to our chat about your writing? Well, uh, I just want to say one thing about Skagit Valley up here and the amount of people that are up here that are really good writers, good artists, glass blowers, painters. The the uh, uh, we we have such neat stuff. The uh, the walk the on Camano Island, the art walk on Camano Island, and all the artists out there. It's uh, it's a rich, rich area here. Very, very happy that I'm involved in it. Well, we're happy you're here, too. Mm-hmm. So uh, keep writing. Keep working. Uh, you've got great material, and uh, thank you very much for coming in to read for us today. Well, thanks for inviting me. You're so welcome. Yeah. This is Ann Vodal-Nash for Skagit Talks.